Alright, let's get right on into it. My name is Melissa, and I have no idea how to cosplay. Hey guys, it's Melissa, and I still don't know how to cosplay. Ah, what are we gonna do with you? Da 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 da. Anyway, uh, this episode is going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge because I want to talk about Halloween costumes because it is late October <laughs> and as a cosplayer, Halloween costumes cause me a great amount of stress, but for different reasons than regular cosplay does. And I also wanted to talk about four-way or just regular stretch fabrics because that is what I have been working with for this new costume that I was trying to finish before recording this episode, but that is just not how things shook out. Um, it's pretty much done, but not quite there. There's still some touches I have to add on, still some appliques I have to add on to the skirt. Other than that, it's pretty done. But, I mean, for the sewing, I still have to get a wig and shoes and all this kind of jibber-jabber, but I'll get to that later. Right now, I just want to talk about my two topics. I will actually start with the stretch fabric uh, because I think it is um, a little more educational and also a little more boring. <laughs> but stretch fabric is um, a really great tool to use on cosplay. And um, as someone who's not super great at sewing, not super... Um, advanced in sewing. This was my first foray into all stretch fabrics and it's a costume that I used a pattern for. Four-way stretch fabrics had a lining and an outer shell and used additional four-way stretch fabrics as appliques. So it was a lot to to experiment with all at once but I think the end result is pretty okay. Uh, it doesn't look super great on me because it is a skin tight outfit and I'm gonna have to kind of rearrange the skirt to see if I can get it to cover my belly a little bit more because that's something I'm sensitive about. Um, but yeah, I think I did pretty well for my first four-way and two stretch fabrics. So let's just jump right on in to a couple of websites. <laughs> talking about tips for sewing stretch fabrics, shall we? Um, so this one website is actually a really great, this one article I found is actually a really great resource. It's on a website called, um, uh, contrado, C-O-N-T-R-A-D-O dot C-O dot U-K. And it is a blog post called Top Tips for How to Sew Stretchy Fabric. And it has a lot of great information. And I'm going to read it back to you because this is my podcast and I decide what I do on my podcast. <laughs> so uh, it starts off with talking about what stretch fabric is. So let's jump right on in. Stretch, stretch fabric is a generic term for any textile knitted or woven that has a greater amount of recovery and stretch than is normally expected. Recovery is when you stretch something and it's able to go back to its original shape after you'd stop stretching it. Um, if you stretch something and it like rips or tears or like gets weird and wobbly, um, then it doesn't have any recovery. But if you're able to stretch it and then like put your hands back together and it's able to go back into its original shape, it has great recovery. Um, and some have more stretch and recovery than others. Let's see. These textiles can be stretch woven fabrics, single knits, some double knits, and even bias cut fabrics. And the bias is where the two grains intersect. Um, it's like a diagonal cut of the fabric uh, 
where it has an equal amount of both grain and it's not like relying on more heavily um, on one grain more heavily than the other so it doesn't get all wobbly if you like stretch it or pull it taut and that's why it's great to line stuff with because um, it's like the maximum stretch like the yeah the maximum stretchability of a normal not stretchy fabric is on the bias and that's why you make bias tape I don't think that makes any sense the way I just said it but I think I get it in my head <laughs> most stretch fabrics are knits Jersey fabrics make up a large percentage of this group. The most prominent feature of these stretch fabrics is their four-way stretch. This means that they stretch both cr crosswise and lengthwise. There are some stretch fabrics, usually heavier ones, that have a two-way stretch. Therefore, it is vital to make sure you check you are using the right kind of stretchy fabric for your project. For instance, the project I was working on, I had a pattern, and we'll talk about it more later in my Cosway Diary section, but the pattern specifically calls for four-way stretch fabric, for the bodice part. Can I learn how to sew with stretchy fabrics for, with my home sewing machine? This section is really just talking about how it is possible to use a sewing machine on stretch fabrics. You don't only need a serger. Um, serger would probably help a lot, but um, I sewed this entire thing with my sewing machine because I don't have a serger and I think it came out pretty well. So take it from me, you can use your sewing machine um, and we'll get into like stitches that you can use in a second. It's further down on this list. The main tips and tricks to knowing how to sew stretchy fabric is the following. Always pre-wash your stretchy fabric. Leave it to dry flat for at least a day so that it keeps its shape. And I did not do this. I always forget to pre-wash my fabric. I'm always in the middle of a project and I'm like, I should have pre-washed this so that I know if it's if it shrinks. So I would not be surprised if I wash half my costumes and they're just not wearable after that. Uh, hopefully not, but whatever. Ensure you have the right fabric for your project or pattern. Check. Choose the right needle. Okay, I had no idea about this. Um, so the blog says all stretchy fab knit fabrics should be sewn with a special needle, either a ballpoint or stretch needle. A ballpoint needle consists of a rounded tip, which pushes the yarns away when sewing. It avoids damaging the knit fabric while cutting and sewing. This contrasts with the usual piercing through and ripping them. Ensure you opt for the right size of needle for your fabric. Okay, so I was in Joanne Fabrics and I was buying this fabric. And the lady who was cutting it, you know how they're always like, oh, what project are you working on? Like they always make small talk with you when they're cutting your fabric. Well, I was like, oh yeah, I've never used stretch fabric before. I'm kind of nervous. And she was like, oh, well, do you have a stretch fabric needle? Like, do you have a ballpoint needle? I was like, no. Does that come with the sewing machine? Because... I think all the sewing machine needles that I have look the same. She was like, no, it doesn't come with your sewing machine. You have to buy it. And I was like, oh, okay. Do you know what aisle this would be in? Because I just don't want to check right now. And she was like, yeah. And she walked with me and found the needles with me and explained to me like, here's Jersey needles. You should use the smallest size in this pack on your fabric. She got me a pack. She picked out a pack that had like 10, 12, and 14. She was like, you should use a 10. Um... And I was like, oh, oh my God, I had no idea that stretch fabric needed a special needle. Thank you, woman in the Joann's for saving my life. So I don't know what would have happened to this project if I was using a regular needle, especially because I sewed on a lot of appliques and I would, I was going over very important parts of the fabric a lot with the needle. So, oh my God, I'm so glad that she was there to help me with that because I don't know what this project would have been like if... I had not gotten the right needle. 
Select the right thread. Special threads are not usually required and a regular polyester thread works well as it has a slight amount of stretch. Stay away from cotton thread as it can break when pulled. When I was buying threads, I had no idea about this. I didn't know you could just use regular polyester. Um, when I was in the fabric store buying the needles, I was also buying stretchy thread because I uh, wasn't super sure what kind of thread you can use and I didn't do any research beforehand. I did all my research right now. <laughs> And so I actually bought a special like Ecoflex thread that like stretches, which I think probably is a good thing that I bought that because I did a lot of straight stitches on the fabric instead of zigzag because the pattern didn't say specifically to use zigzag and I was afraid that if I use zigzag, the seams will look weird. So um, I'm glad I got the stretch fabric, I mean stretch thread because on the straight seams that I sewed, I think it probably works better. And use stitches that will hold the stretch of the fabric. The stitches need to stretch with the fabric so they don't pucker and break. If you must sew with a straight stitch, then hold the material taut and don't pull it. Um, and then there is in bold, a top tip. Knowing how to sew stretchy fabric involves knowing how to cut and handle your fabric. The most important thing to remember when cutting your fabric is not to stretch it. We recommend laying it flat on a table or other flat work surface. Don't let the fabric hang over the edges as this could stretch it out of place. Some other top tips for knowing how to sew stretchy fabric and how to handle it during the sewing process include take your pattern and place it on the fabric to keep your fabric in place, pin it and cut out the pattern with scissors or use paper weights and a rotary cutter. Try to keep pins inside the seam allowance. This avoids opening unwanted holes in the garment. Take away the curl. Some kinds of stretchy fabric, such as knitted jersey, have edges that tend to curl. This can make it even harder to sew. To reverse the curl, use a starchy spray and press the edges. Um, I laid my patterns down and used pattern weights and a rotary cutter when I um, cut out my fabrics and um, I don't think any of it curled so I think I'm pretty good on that front. Another top tip, part of understanding how to sew stretchy fabrics is to have patience. It is super important to take your time when sewing these fabrics. Pause occasionally with the needle down so you can readjust the alignment of the raw edges of the material. Don't rush it. The best stitches and sewing machine settings for sewing stretchy fabric. I'm still really learning the anatomy of a sewing machine. I just recently was able to get the cover off so I could get in and like clean out all like the, the extra threads and fuzz down there. Oh my god. I literally haven't done that since I bought it because I was never able to undo the screws because the little screwdriver they gave me with the machine is too big to fit under the arm to get those screws and so I had to use a quarter and I finally got that plate off and there was so much fuzz in there and it was like wow I've had this for like seven or eight years and I've never cleaned this once uh no wonder it barely runs <laughs> anyway so here are some good stitches uh, narrow zigzag opt for a very narrow setting with the zigzag with the stitch length equal to the stitch width Overedge stitch, a specialty stitch that locks over the edge of the fabric so it stitches and finishes a seam in one pass. Okay, straight stretch stitch. God, say that three times fast. This stitch looks like three parallel rows of straight stitches. Um, my sewing machine can do this and I kind of tried to set it for it for like a pass to see if I could make a, a seam with it. Uh, it takes a long time. And I don't super know if it was coming out right. Like it looked kind of weird. The stitches looked a little uneven and I'm almost positive my machine like couldn't take it. So I didn't do that for any part of the project, but I tried. <laughs> twin needle stitch. This stitch requires a twin needle. Wow. 
The right side of the fabric has two parallel rows of stitching. On the wrong side of the fabric, the bobbin thread follows a zigzag pattern. And try a different presser foot. A dual feed foot or walking foot attachment for your sewing machine are great for helping stop one layer of material stretching out when sewing. Check the manual of, of your machine to see which one is compatible. I don't have a walking foot or um, a dual feed foot, so I just used my regular foot. Uh, it probably would have been better with a walking foot. I think a walking foot would have, um, maybe not the biggest difference, but it would have made a little bit of a difference. But I think my project came out pretty okay with what I had. Top tip. If you're planning on stitching buttonholes in a, in a stretch fabric, we recommend sewing in the direction of least stretch. This can be difficult with a four-way stretch fabric, but test all sides to see if one has slightly less give. Stabilize the wrong side of the fabric first when with fusible interfacing. This should give you beautiful and stable buttonholes. I have no idea when, there was, when this was published, but it was written by Claire. Claire is the content writer and editor for Contrato. Thanks, Claire. Um, here's a, another one I found. This only has a couple tips, uh, and some I've already gone over. Um, a lot of the top tips are ones that were already covered in the other blog post. Uh, this other page I found has a couple tips. The first one is choose a ballpoint needle, which we covered. The second one is choose polyester thread, which we covered. And number three is choose a stretch stitch. Um... Of the three, this is probably the most important, knit fabric stretch, and that's why we love them. But even using polyester thread, a straight stitch seam will not stretch enough to accommodate the stretch of the fabric. A serge seam will stretch, but if you don't hate a, you don't have a serge, no big deal. See if your sewing machine has a stretch stitch or lightning bolt stitch. Um, it looks like it sounds. If your sewing machine has a stretch stitch or lightning bolt stitch. Uh, if not, simply set your sewing machine to a narrow zigzag. Extra tips are don't let it curl at the edges, which we already covered. Pay close attention to direction of stretch. Uh, some people swear by using a sewing machine walking foot when sewing with knit fabrics. And knit fabric seams often look stretched out after sewing. Press gently and apply steam from your iron to shrink the seam back to normal. Oh, that's fun. It's a cute little tip. Um, so yeah, long story short, stretch fabric is uh, kind of scary, hard to work with. Worth it, I guess, <laughs> though, in the end. Um, my project, obviously, I will talk about it later in the diary section, but I think it came out pretty okay. I'm surprised how okay it came out because I've never used stretch fabric and I was kind of expecting it to be the actual devil, but I think it came out pretty okay. And it's not perfect. It could have been better, um, mostly because I can't insert zippers and the skirt is not what the pattern calls for for a skirt, so I wasn't super sure how to do the skirt. Um, and other stuff like that. But, yeah, I think the project came out pretty well. Let's talk about Halloween! And more specifically, Halloween costumes, Halloween trick-or-treating, and kind of where that came from, because you know me, I like to read random history facts. Okay, we're back to talk about the history of Halloween costumes and trick-or-treating. I'm going to be reading off of a Halloween 2018 page on history.com. You know, like the History Channel, but the website for that channel, history.com. And um, I've actually uh, done pre-reading of this and other, like, Halloween costume articles and 
They all say somewhat similar, but also somewhat different things about the history of trick-or-treating and Halloween costumes and stuff, and I think that's really interesting. But, I uh, just want to remind you, take all this with a grain of salt. I really don't know what is true, what is fact, and what is including other stuff, and what is excluding other stuff, and, and, and which of the things that I'm reading have this in mind and that in mind and stuff like that. So... If what I'm saying sounds wrong, it probably is. I've never claimed to be correct about anything. I don't know how to do anything. Anyway, so here's some origins of Halloween fun facts. Um, I'm going to actually start with Halloween Comes to America. Celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial England, New England, because of the rigid Protestant belief systems there. Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies, where they had fun. As the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups as well as the American Native Americans meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. Meshed? <laughs> the first celebrations included play parties, public events held to celebrate the harvest, where neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, and dance and sing. Colonial Halloween's festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivals festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with the new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Trick or treat! Borrowing from Irish and English traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money, a practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat tradition. Young women believed that on Halloween they, would, they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, or mirrors. In the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, uh, foods of the season, and festive costumes. Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween celebrations. Because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. Halloween parties. By the, 20s and 19, by the 1920s and 1930s, Halloween had become a secular but community-centered holiday with parades and town-wide Halloween parties as the featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, vandalism began to plague some celebrations in many communities during this time. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism and Halloween and evolved into a holiday direct, directed mainly at the young. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s baby boom, parties moved from town civic centers into classrooms or homes where they could be more easily accommodated. Between, the between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, fa uh, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. Thus, a new American tradition was born, and it has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. 
soul cakes. The American Halloween tradition of trick-or-treating probably dates back to the early All Souls Day parade in England. During the festivities, poor citizens would beg for food and families would give them pastries called soul cakes in return for their promise to pay for the family's dead relatives. The distribution of soul cakes was encouraged by the church as a way to replace the ancient practice of leaving food and wine for roaming spirits. The practice, which was referred to as a going a-souling, was eventually taken up by children who would visit the houses in the neighborhood and be given ale, food, and money. The tradition of dressing in costume for Halloween was both European and Celtic roots. Hundreds of years ago, winter was an uncertain and and frightening time. Food supplies often ran low, and for the many people afraid of the dark, the short days of winter were full of constant worry. On Halloween, it was believed that ghosts came back to the earthly world. People thought that they could encounter ghosts if they left their homes. To avoid being recognized by these ghosts, people would wear masks and when they left their homes after dark so that the ghosts would mistake them for fellow spirits. On Halloween, to keep ghosts away from their houses, people would place bowls of food outside their homes to appease the ghosts and prevent them from attempting to enter. Um, I'm now going to read a little bit of a different article. It's called The History of Halloween Costumes is Way Weirder Than You Could Have Guessed, and it's by Bustle. It's written by Elizabeth Enox. Enoch? There's an S at the end. I don't know if I'm supposed to read. Anyway, it was written in October 2016. <laughs> Let's see. Halloween costumes have been around for around 2,000 years. Though there's been some dispute uh, about this among historians, it is believed that Halloween can be linked all the way back to um, Soin. Soin. Sorry, it's a Celtic word, and I've read somewhere else because I, like I said, it's a little pre-reading for this. Um, And it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, and I believe in another article it was saying that it's pronounced soin and not like samhain or something <laughs> so um halloween can be linked all the way back to soin or summer's end an ancient celtic festival at, uh, of the dead which was probably at its pinnacle between the 9th and 12th centuries the Celts, who believed in what we now know as Ireland in the United Kingdom and northern France thought ghosts fairies imps and demons roamed the earth on halloween night Since October 31st was New Year's Eve, for them, the Celts believed that this was the one night of the year that the boundaries between the world of the living and that of the dead were the blurriest. In turn, Celtic people would leave uh, out food and drinks as a peace offering of sorts to the spirits, wear all white, and paint their faces in an attempt to camouflage themselves from the evil beings. Celtic druids would dress up as animals or supernatural beings, build bonfires, and then perform various plant and animal sacrifices to Celtic deities. Then there's a little portion about how cross-dressing was always very popular for costumes, which is obvious, and I'm not going to read it. <laughs> Obviously, cross-dressing is very fun. I think cross-dressing is just a very fun activity. Doesn't matter. Halloween costumes got way more interesting during the Victorian era. Ooh. From Charles Darwin's theory of evolution to the Industrial Revolution, the 19th and 20th centuries saw a considerable number of inspiring discoveries. Additionally, with travel becoming less and less difficult, people all over the world were able to learn more about different cultures. Not surprisingly, all of the newness inspired a slew of unique costumes and a collective need to take solace in the folklore of simpler times, making Halloween and the tradition of donning Halloween costumes more popular than ever. On top of that, with books like Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights being published in the mid-1800s, gothic themes were huge at this point. And this was also reflected in how people dressed up on Halloween during the Victorian era. 
Egyptian-inspired costumes, bats, ghosts, and masquerade parties were super on trend during this time, and pretty much all costumes were still homemade. Hell yeah! Halloween costumes weren't manufactured in the U.S. until the 1920s. Believe it or not, the multi-million dollar industry of manufacturing Halloween costumes had been around for less than 100 years because the corporations didn't actually start manufacturing Halloween costumes in the U.S. until the 1920s. I don't know what you're talking about. This, this makes sense to me. <laughs> like, clothing wasn't really largely manufactured for, like, a long time. <laughs> Um, I don't know why this article is like, can you believe, like, people had their clothing specially made? I don't know. That's obvious. Ma like, huge corporations and, like, clothing manufacturers didn't, I don't think they were around for very long. I don't know why you think Halloween costumes would have been around. I don't feel like America celebrated Halloween. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm reading this portion. I'm just like, I don't get this. The sexy costume phenomenon started back in the 1970s, obviously because the 70s were fucking awesome. In 2016, more kids are dressing up as superheroes than princesses. Cool, I don't care. But you know that what I do care about? Me! Okay. <laughs> um, so my whole thing with Halloween costumes is I, I make cosplays for... I like to sew. And so that's a reason. But I also make costumes, cosplays to wear at conventions where there will be a lot of people who get the niche reference I'm making with the costume from a video game or anime. Or I post them on Instagram where people can find the niche anime video game costumes they like. Whereas Halloween, it's just everybody. It's just everybody around. You're just wearing a costume to to do stuff like you might be going to a party or whatever but like you're just wearing a costume around as a person and so like I feel like a Halloween costume has to kind of follow and like be recognizable by the cultural zeitgeist I think a Halloween costume should be a lot more mainstream so I never want to wear a cosplay on Halloween because I always feel like it's inappropriate I'm like well a cosplay is way too niche and like Halloween costumes I I think really good Halloween costumes are ones that, one, fit the classic Halloween theme, spooky, creepy, or two, fit the cultural theme of, like, stuff everybody has seen, American media, because I'm in America, so, like, things that people are familiar with in that country or area where you live, or puns or jokes or people dressing up as, like, food or something. Like, I... Halloween is just a fun time for people to wear literally whatever they want as a costume. And for me, cosplay is so specific and I don't want to wear like my cosplay and then be out and have people be like, that's not very Halloween-y. I don't even know what that is. I don't know. That just, it feels weird. I don't really want to do that to myself. So I had a plan originally for a Halloween costume. I wanted to do a Heather Chandler from the Heathers boxer outfit like I wanted to wear a robe I specifically in my mind really just wanted to embroider a robe I just really wanted to write Heather on a robe that's all I wanted to do this entire idea of a costume was an excuse to write Heather on a robe and I liked it for a really long time I never bought the materials for it and one day I was like, actually, I hate that idea. And I posted on Instagram. I was like, oh, how can someone this cute not know what they're doing for Halloween? And my friend actually messaged me and she was like, oh, 
well, I'm doing like a cute Tin Man theme for my costume. Do you want to follow the Wizard of Oz theme with me and do like Cowardly Lion? Because we're both going to this Dragothon thing on Halloween. It's going to be so fun. I'm so excited. And that's why I wanted to make a Halloween costume this year because I don't want to be the only one there without a costume. I don't want to be lame. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I bought some materials for it, not all of them. I'm hoping I can, you know, get it done by Halloween. <laughs> uh, but I'm uh, finally going to use my uh, baby doll romper pattern I got from Cut Sew to make like a half Kigurumi thing. And then I want to make over that, because it's like a sleeveless thing, I want to make like a, a mini jacket that has a hood and the hood will be the main. And that's my idea. And like face main shit. Um, but that's my idea for the costume because I really want to make it like cute, but not like sexy lion cute. I want to make it like cute like baby doll romper and jacket. Like I want, it's cute. Um, so yeah, that's my whole hang up with Halloween. It stresses me out as someone who likes to sew and make costumes because this is not what I sew and make costumes for. And, uh, I honestly, for Halloween, if I had planned ahead and had this idea earlier, I, the kind I'm making isn't really available in stores. If you buy a lion costume, it's going to be a kikurumi, but uh, I usually just wear Kigurumis on Halloween because I, like, give up all the time. But for Halloween, I kind of prefer to just, like, buy costumes or, like, make shitty costumes because I feel like everyone comes out of the woodwork to make Halloween costumes or buy shitty Halloween costumes. So I feel like a good Halloween costume isn't necessary. I feel like you don't have to look good on Halloween. Like, no one's really going to be that impressed. Anyway, like I said, that's my hang-up on Halloween. Uh, be right back with my Cosplay Diary of the Week. Ooh. Hey, it's Melissa again. Oh my god, she's still listening to this podcast. It's about me. <laughs> um, this cosplay diary of the episode. I really need to stop calling it Cosplay Diary of the Week because it is not every week. It is every episode, which come out pretty much monthly. Anyway, but this is my Cosplay Diary of the episode. The costume I've been working on is the Princess Daruma from Night is Short, Walk on Girl. It is a movie that came out last year in Japan, this year in American theaters. I saw it last month or like the month before. Uh, so it came out in American theaters this year. I saw it maybe two months ago. And when I saw it, this character came on screen. She has no name other than Princess Daduva. And she's on screen for maybe total five minutes. I fell in love with her. I was like, your outfit is so cute. I have to make it. So when I bought this pattern, excuse the pattern noises, excuse the ASMR. Anyway, um, I bought this pattern. It's uh, McCall's M7455, and it is a Yaya Han pattern, and it is like a mix and match pattern pieces type of pattern. But like looking at the picture, this is obviously so you can make like a Sailor Moon type outfit, but it does have a lot of variations on the top and sleeves and skirt. So I used that as the base for this because I knew what I wanted to do was like a stretchy dress that has a halter top, which this has a halter top variation. And um, I wasn't going to follow the same skirt 
um, as, as the one in the pattern because I'm not trying to make a Sailor Moon skirt. I was trying to make a circle skirt that like sits out. I really, really wanted that part of the, like, that's what I fell in love with. The idea that her skirt is just like flops around and is like a, a perfect like Judy Jetson circle. I don't think I'm referencing the right character, but just like a circle that like goes out and sticks out. And I'll talk about that later, but that was my literal main issue with this freaking costume. So I was like, yeah, I can use this as a base. And so I did. It was my first time working with stretch fabrics. Uh, like I have said, <laughs> I, uh, think it came out very well. This was also my first time working with appliques. I bought four-way stretch fabrics in the proper colors and I, um, like traced the pattern pieces onto paper. And then I, I, I drew what I think the pattern or the design should look like based on a reference image onto the paper. The thing I ended up making has a few differences from the original design, like a few shapes, a few things don't match up in certain places, but that's fine. I really don't really care. Um, I think it came out pretty good. Like I think it's pretty recognizable if you know that character. So what ended up happening was I, I made the top First, I made the top out of a fabric that I bought that I meant to have it as a lining and then I like gave up on trying to find a outer layer and I was like, this can work as an outer layer. Hot tip, it couldn't. It was way more just meant to be a lining fabric and so I ended up buying more fabric. But I got to experiment and make the top kind of almost as a warm-up and then I bought more fabric and luckily I had enough of the swimsuit lining fabric left over to be a good lining fabric for the final version. And I was able to make the top and it fit very well. I had to extend the sides of the bottom pieces because I'm fat. Uh, but I think it turned out pretty good. I still have to lift the skirt a little bit because now that I have it pretty much put together, the skirt lands right at a place I don't super like it. Um, also, it's supposed to go into like a V-shape uh, where the skirt is because like I said, this is supposed to be a Sailor Moon dress. Anyway, whatever. If you don't have to tell anybody, it's fine. <laughs> So I, I kind of have to lift the skirt, but overall I think the pattern fit very nicely. And the appliques, I was very stressed about. I made the whole top lining and outer layer. I sewed them together. They were together. And I sewed the appliques with a zigzag stitch on. And there was only one part where I kind of had to rip it and sew it again because I think it puckered a little and I didn't like it. But overall, I think I did a pretty good job sewing on the appliques. I just, I, I cut them out and I, I pinned them on and I, and I did a zigzag stitch over all the edges and I tried to do it so the stitch kind of fell over the side a little bit to really, to really catch the fabric in there and trap it like a cage. And I think it looks really good from far away. Um, you can kind of barely tell there's a lot of stitches, which is very, very nice. Like, I think it looks really, really good from far away. But the main, like I said, the main issue I had was with the skirt because the, what I bought to make the skirt flare out the way it does. So what I bought for the skirt at first was plastic, uh, you know, thin boning that's supposed to go inside of bodices. And I was like, oh, whatever. If I put it in a skirt, it'll all like keep itself taut and it'll keep itself in a perfect circle. No, that's not the case. It uh, kept wobbling and being really gross. And then I put like armature wire in with it to see if I could stabilize it like that. And that didn't work. The wire was kind of thin and didn't really work very well because the large area of the circle skirt is so wide. Like it, 
those materials just cannot keep it stable. So then I went to Home Depot and I got this thing called PEX pipe, P-E-X piping. And it's like a thin plastic PVC pipe-ish type thing um, that is very bendable, but also very sturdy. And so I took two of those, taped them together with duct tape, put it in the hem of the skirt, and that actually worked really well. It's still, the tape doesn't hold it super nicely, and so it still is a little bit not shaped great, but it does pretty much exactly what I need it to do. And actually, it's really funny, I can't go through doors right, because I have to lift the skirt in a certain way to get myself through doors. And the outfit, the pattern has a built-in panties, and so... Um, which I wanted because like in, in the movie, her skirt lifts up all the time just because of how it's shaped. And she's actually on a lifted, usually when you see the character, she's on a lifted stage and the camera is looking up at her. And, uh, so I knew that it would have included panties and I'm just really glad the pattern has literal like attached panties under the skirt. Again, that makes it really weird because it's kind of like a onesie. You have to climb in and zip up the back and I can't actually do that physically because of the way my arms are shaped. So uh, if I wear this to a convention, I'm going to have to have a buddy help me put it on and take it off and just unzip me if I have to go to the bathroom or do literally anything. But other than that, it's pretty good. (laughs) Um, I think it fits me pretty good. Um, I don't super love the way it looks on me because I don't super love the way I look. Body issues... But I think it's pretty okay for what it is, and uh, some shapewear might help smooth out some, you know, jiggly edges. So, there's that. And the only thing I actually have left to do is sew on the yellow appliques on the skirt. Uh, Because I forgot to do that. (laughs) So, I have to rip open the hem and take out the pex piping so that I can, like, really fit it under the sewing machine to like easily sew on the appliques with my sewing machine and I meant to get that done before recording this segment um but I didn't but another job well done I think I think it came out very good I think it looks very good I think it's something if I wear it no one will recognize it and everyone will be very confused because this is not a popular character she is not one of the main characters of the film she is there for five minutes tops she is great and I love her (laughs) Um, but if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend it. It's very, very good. I, I love the art style. The story is very kind of like weird and, and the art style kind of adds to the fact the story is weird and the art style is very kind of trippy and, um, it's by the same studio, I think, that did Tatami Galaxy. So if you like that art style, it's like that, but like movie worthy. It's like movie version. And, uh... Yeah, I recommend Tonight is Short Walk on Girl. I recommend trying to make Princess Daruma. Recommend using stretch fabrics. Oh, the skirt fabric is, it's like white underneath and like a magenta on top. And so the magenta fabric is a two-way stretch. And I'm really hoping that doesn't bite me in the ass later because the white fabric is a four-way stretch. And oh boy, I'm just really hoping this whole thing doesn't bite me in the ass. And um, so on and so forth. But... I think that's all I have to say for now. Thank you for listening. And um, I'll talk to you next time. Um, bye bye.